last year Chatham had the most new home builds, I believe that they've ever had in their existence. So that's good. In terms of jobs, you know, you've got your typical, you know, police uh, hospital. There's a really big hospital in Chatham. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons or better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai. I'm a real estate agent, an investor, and host of the Real Estate Golden Nuggets podcast. I have an amazing episode full of Golden Nuggets for you. I had the pleasure of sitting with Jeremy Ivany, a real estate investor investing in Chatham. If you want to learn about the Chatham market, how Jeremy and Taylor have been able to scale up to 34 doors in less than two years, then you definitely don't want to miss this episode. If you like this podcast and gotten any value out of it, please share this far and wide reach as many people as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you so much for your support. Please enjoy episode nine with Jeremy. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai, host of the Golden Nuggets podcast. Today, I, my special guest is Jeremy. Jeremy is a real estate investor out of Chatham, Ontario, and he's a quite a serial entrepreneur. And the reason why I'm saying that is because at a very young age, he has been able to uh, scale up quite significantly and very successfully. So very excited to have him on the show today so we can get a lot of Golden Nuggets out of it. Uh, without further ado, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and how you got started real estate investing and maybe a little bit overview of your current portfolio. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like you said, I'm Jeremy Ivany and uh, Taylor and myself, we got investing in real estate just over a year and a half ago. And to date, we've scaled up to about 14 properties and 34 rental units. Um, it's something that I do day to day full time now. And uh, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really where we're at at this point. Out of all the other investment opportunities in the world. Why real estate? What, what made you decide to go in real estate? Yeah, for sure. No, fair question. So the, the reason I got interested in real estate was when I was 18 years old, I moved out West for a couple months. And the guy that I was living with was a serial real estate entrepreneur. He was 21 years old at the time. He owned six rental properties and he rented them out to everybody that worked in the oil fields. And he was making a killing at it. Um, and him and I had lengthy conversations about um, why real estate was so powerful. You know, he was making all this money off of us. We were paying 800 bucks a month to live in a room in one of his houses. And there was, you know, six to eight bedrooms in each of these houses. So I couldn't help but realize like, wow, this guy's making a lot of money, you know, month over month. And right. I just saw it as a way where it's like, okay, look, you know, we can work for a living and then we can purchase real estate assets. And those real estate assets can end up actually paying for our lifestyle. So I was like, this is like a light bulb moment, right? You know, a lot of people just go day to day for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. They right. work their day jobs, they spend what they earn and that's it. But for me, I thought, no, okay, I'm, I'm already tired of, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. in the morning for somebody else. There needs to be some sort of change. So that's, that was really the big light bulb moment for me was like, I need to figure out ways where I can make passive income uh, while I'm not working. Right. You know, I always wanted to travel. 
Um, you know, I want to spend time with my friends, my family. And, right. you know, when you get caught up in your nine to five day job, it's, it's really hard to do that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That, so you, re, you made that realization at 18. That's amazing. <laughs> a lot of us yeah. figure that later in life. So, so 18 is, is a phenomenal number. Uh, yeah. And, and also I, I think, uh, one of the other reasons uh, that I, I think the biggest influence on you was because your parents are in the construction industry as well. Right. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, the, I mean, they weren't an influence on me to get into real estate, but they mm -hmm. always pushed me to do better. A little bit of a background of what we do. So a lot of the properties that we're buying are, I mean, they're major fixer uppers, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're jacking up houses. We're, we're doing all that sort of stuff. I mean, a lot of things that a lot of investors don't want to get involved in. And what that looks like on site is, you know, me and my parents working together, right? We're fixing up all these properties. So that was really nice and, uh, you know, satisfying for me to think, hey, look, I'm actually, I'm giving my parents an opportunity to make money um, as well as myself. So we're kind of just growing together in a, in a sense. Um, and that's, that's really been inspiring for me. Yeah, absolutely. That, that sounds amazing. Like you were, you were touching on, you know, spending time with family. What a better way to spend time with family than, you know, work on the same projects and make money, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, t tell me a little bit about, you know, how I guess you and, and, and uh, I believe it's your girlfriend, right? Uh, uh, Taylor, um, yeah. were able yeah. to, to partner up and get into this because there's one thing somebody believes in a, in a, in a passion and, and, and something to, to work towards. And then there's another, where someone needs to be a little bit convinced. So tell me a little bit how, how you guys kind of started that route together as partnership. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So really how this all got started was there was a point in my life where uh, somebody in my family got really sick. And I thought, you know, we were all in the hospital together and we were all kind of sitting in the room together. And I really sort of started to realize like, wow, life isn't about like all of like this hustle. And I, I, I was never one to really like to get stressed out. And, you know, even at my day job, somebody who really cared about the employer that they worked for, I always felt stressed. And I always felt like there was something better to, uh, to do or something more fulfilling that I can do in my life. So that's why I got into real estate. I thought I always wanted to be some sort of entrepreneur, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then real estate kind of flashed back to me, right? Because like I said, when I was 18, I met this right. guy who was a real estate entrepreneur. And this was back when I was about 21 years old. So yeah, we I I quickly started, you know, listening to Bigger Pockets podcasts. Um, and really, and then I mean, that's kind of like the rabbit hole, right? A lot of us, we listen to Bigger Pockets <laughs> podcasts and it's like, wow, this makes so much sense. Why didn't we think about this earlier? But then it was hard for me to get Taylor on board. You know, it took a couple months. There was times when I we would just like, you know, lay in bed and I would just listen to Bigger Pockets podcast and Taylor would be like, all right, let's turn this off. Like we've heard enough of this. And I'm like, no, you must listen to this more. You must get on board. <laughs> so what really was the light bulb moment for Taylor was uh, we, we purchased a residential property in London, Ontario, which was our primary residence. Mm -hmm. We ended up doing a lot of work to it. And then uh, we ended up refinancing it. And then we got this big check at the end of the day. And then then she realized, wow, this is powerful. We just made more money um, with this one check than we made, you know, all of last year. Is our time really valued trading at a day job, like a nine to five job where we're getting paid hourly? Or is it better spent on a business like real estate where, you know, we can really make a lot more money and do a lot more good? So yeah, no, that, that's phenomenal. And and that and that's it's so important to have, you know, both partners on the same page, whether it's, you know, your parents or whoever, maybe your girlfriend, your uh, significant other. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is because um, I kind of relate to that as well, right? Starting off, 
you seem like a crazy person. You're thinking, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Right. But then when you, when you actually speak volumes and if you show, you know, the reasoning behind it, the numbers, and then when somebody sees it, they're like, oh my God, like, why, why are other people not doing this? Right. It, it's yeah. just almost that question comes up. Like, how come nobody saw this? Like, I, I wish I knew this earlier. Right. We all, we tend to always think back and look, uh, look at it in that sense. So, so basically to just recap what you said here, um, uh, Jeremy, so you started in London, Ontario with your primary residence. So Tell us, take us basically onto our next steps. Like what happened from there and how did you guys start getting into the Maltese? Our whole idea was when we first started out with investing in real estate, we thought, okay, there's going to be a point where we run out of money. And when we run out of money, the next option is we have to use joint ventures. Okay. Well, we're also really young entrepreneurs. So it's going to be hard to attract good joint ventures, right? We're 22, 23 years old. It's right. kind of hard to entice somebody to, you know, put up a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a down payment in renovations and trust us with 50% of the equity. So our idea was, okay, let's try and scale up our real estate portfolio quickly. And then people are going to trust us more, right? People trust the guy that's bought 10 properties in his first year of real estate investing than the guy that's bought 10 real estate properties in his first 10 years of investing, right? It just, mm -hmm. it's, it's the scalability that gives people trust. So that was our idea. It was like, let's scale up really quickly and then let's start attracting joint venture partnerships, which is exactly what happened. But the issue that we ran into is we didn't have a million dollars sitting in, the, in our bank account, right? We had to utilize the Burr strategy. Um, when we actually started buying investment properties, we only had $80,000, which doesn't go far. I mean, after your first rental property with the down payment and the renovation, that money's gone. So we mm -hmm. had to think outside the box. How are we going to get creative with this to keep scaling up? And once we started investing in Chatham, then we even saw more of an opportunity like, hey, these properties cash flow very well. Um, it's only a matter of time before a lot of people start realizing this, which they have. I mean, the last couple of months in Chatham has just been crazy. So... <laughs> Um, that was really our whole idea behind it was let's scale quickly. Let's attract joint ventures. And now it's to the point where we have too many people that want to partner with us. And, you know, now we're trying to, uh, rearrange our business in a sense where we can be more, um, where we can offload a lot more. And we're really trying to step back now. You know, we've, we've reached our cash flow, um, like what we want in cash flow. You know, mm -hmm. we've, we, we truly have enough tenants where, you know, it's, it's okay to kind of step back from the business and maybe do a little more traveling, things like that. So, yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And that you guys nailed it right in the head and that's what it is, right? Like how could somebody trust you if you don't have something to show for it? Right? Like here is proof. Here is like my portfolio here. Basically it's like applying for a job, right? To look at a resume, your experience. So definitely like for folks that are looking to expand or have that sort of scalability of our track partnership you just you definitely have to have proof that you can do this pretty well uh which, which you guys have done fantastic uh job on and you mentioned you you at that time you were working a full-time job as well and at what point did you decide you know what i'm good i can quit this and do this on a full-time basis exactly i'm always curious to understand you know what the psychology behind that is and how does one get to that point so how what was it for you i i'm really glad you brought this up because it's actually it's a it's a really unique um, and really funny story that really, that truly could have gone uh, the opposite than, than what it really did. So uh, I started in, or Taylor and I started investing in June of 2019. 
Right. Um, in December of, or sorry, in November of 2019, I was, um, I went to school to finish my electrical apprenticeship. So I was essentially, I didn't have a job, uh, quote unquote, didn't have a job, right? I was in school. I was focusing right. a lot more on real estate. And then we were buying a lot more real estate. Um, and then June or January came along. I went back to work for two weeks and then I actually ended up taking off another month. Um, I, me and my boss had a really good relationship. He, um, you know, essentially just laid me off because we, we were slow. We were slow at work and it was a really good opportunity for me to kind of just, you know, focus on, I had a lot of projects. We had a lot of projects on the go. So it it was, it worked out really well for the company. Right. Um, and then COVID happened, uh, right. Basically in uh, February, March, COVID started to happen. And then he, then, you know, my boss was thinking, you know, maybe let's, let's keep everybody at home. Let's, you know, keep everybody safe. Um, and then, and then I, re- then we really started ramping up our real estate portfolio. There, there was a week where it was crazy on the Monday, we bought a property on the Tuesday, we bought a property on the Wednesday, we bought a property. And then on the Thursday, we bought a property and it was like, holy crap. Wow. Um, and then the following Monday, we bought another property. It was like, <laughs> It was like, what is going on right now? Um, and then at that point, we we really didn't even have rem- remotely enough cash flow for for me to justify leaving my day job. Um, and then you know, obviously, COVID happened. There was the lockdowns, everything like that. So I I wasn't going back to work. You know, we had to really pivot. How are we going to close on these properties? So what we ended up doing was we need to close on these things sooner than later, so that I can show that like you know, quote unquote, have a day job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had the funds to close on it. So that's what we did. We just, we, we shortened up all the closings, but it was, uh, April when my boss ended up asking me to come back to work. And I remember being at, uh, one of our projects down in Chatham and it was just out of the, out of the blue. I, you know, I was talking to him on the phone and he said, Hey, Jeremy, you know, look, we, we need you back at work. We're starting to, you know, get a little bit busier mm-hmm. and, you know, truly without talking to Taylor or, honestly, anybody, I just told them, I was like, I, I can't come back. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to come back. I'm just going to focus on real estate full time. And then it was funny. I came home and I was talking to Taylor about it. I said, Hey, look, like, what do you think about me just not going back to my day job? And Taylor was like, no, nope, there's no way you must go back. And this was before I even told her that I quit. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, I kind of just told her, I was like, well, uh, you know, I, I already told them I'm not coming back. So this is kind of how it's going to be. And from that point on, there's been no looking back. And the reason being is because we saw this opportunity and this comes with any sort of opportunity where it's going to, um, be, you know, where it's going to be a little bit risky. There's Mm going to be this doubt in your mind where, you know, you, you're thinking about all the negatives, but for me, one of the things that I think I do very well is I always think about what's the, what's the best case scenario or what's the likely scenario going to be out, coming out of this? Well, the likely scenario is, okay, maybe I don't have the cash flow right now. So I'm going to limit my expenses and I'm going to really ramp up my real estate portfolio, right? That's the best case. The worst case scenario is I go back to my day job. I don't focus on real estate and my business just stagnates or stagnates. And that's what I didn't want. Right. I was, I saw all this progression in our real estate business and I thought I can't stop now. There's like, there's no reason why I should stop. You know, life is so short. Um, going, going back to, you know, like when, you know, we had those family issues, right. I really saw like life is very short 
And a lot of times, you know, people are just discouraged to take that next step. But it's really important to say to yourself, you know, what are the consequences of me not taking this step forward? Right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. Taylor and I are in a position where we're thinking, how can she get out of her day job? When looking back a year ago, this would have been something that we may have thought of doing, you know, 10 years down the road. Right. But because we took that next step, you know, now we're furthering our mindset. That's amazing. No, that, that's, that's the thing. So you t- definitely took a leap of faith. You bet on yourself. Exactly. A lot of people don't do that, unfortunately, right? It, it is, we all have that fear. Oh, what if we think of uh, the worst case scenario, like you said, it's the majority of us are kind of, are, are we are, our brains are wired. And the reason for that is just because it goes back when we were, you know, cavemen. <laughs> you, you, exactly. you stress because your body is reacting to it to, to protect you for whatever it is, right? We don't have, bears attacking us anymore, but we're thinking about financial reasons, for instance, right? And then there's that stress and that's, there's, there's that little roadblocks that do come in. So following your journey through, you know, social media and stuff, I see you, you are there grinding every single day. And, and it clearly exactly. is a reason why you, you guys are able to scale at that portfolio that's at that pace, right? And one of the things that I always like to tell other investors is, and, you know, just realizing the situation a lot of people are in and something that really clued into me is, you know, when we rent out units, people say, I can't afford, I can only afford $900 uh, rent, but I can't afford a thousand. And I always like to say to myself, and, and I've said this about a lot of different things is, you know, there's no way that, you know, all of your expenses just add up where you can just afford $900. There's a lot of other factors coming in where you can afford a lot more, but you're making other life decisions where you can't afford more. So Absolutely. for me, what I always thought was, What's the worst case scenario? I'm just going to stop, you know, I'm going to limit a lot of my expenses to help me with this journey, right? Because Mm -hmm. like I said, there was essentially six months where there was no income coming in from my side, right? We were doing a lot of renovations. A lot of money was going out month over month. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we could, yeah, maybe we were cash flowing three, 400 bucks from a duplex, but that money was directly going back into the $40,000 renovation we were doing on the next duplex, right? right? So there was never this cash flow. So I just had to say to myself, how am I going to limit my expenses um, and make this work? Because yeah, maybe maybe we have $5,000 in the bank account, but it, it wasn't because, you know, everything just systematically ended up that way where, you know, we, we ended up with that, right? It was because I, you know, downgraded my expenses. I stopped, um, you know, just things that I would normally do. But with COVID too, it was it was really interesting because when we purchased all those properties, there was uh, there was a conversation that I had with my parents, and it was, you know, they were they were really worried. You know, looking back, it was a huge risk. We bought like five properties when like COVID was hitting the fan, right? The world right. was essentially about to end. Right. And we were just, we were like, here's all of our cards. We're going all in, right? Or sorry, all of our chips, right? We were going all in at this point. And um, we had a couple of joint, or we had a joint venture on a few of these deals. And uh, James, who's a business partner of mine. And uh, I remember him and I talking about it because my parents were, they were very concerned as well as his parents were too, right? They were right. saying to ourselves, like saying to us, like, guys, you should, you should really think about what you're doing. Um, you know, we don't doubt you, but we want to, you know, uh, give you our opinions. We're really unsure with how this is all going to play out because we weren't right. We thought COVID was going to be like the world ending thing potentially. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, 
a very important conversation that I had with James was it was simply we're willing to outwork 95% of people, if not 99% of people, but on the low end, 95% of people. And with any loss or with anybody that's losing, there's also a winner on the other side. So, and typically the winners are the people that are outworking the others, right? That's usually how it works. Um, you know, there's, there's a few cases where people get lucky, but most of the time it's people who outwork the others. And that's what we were willing to do. And it's, it's what we continue to do. We just, we, we systematically, you know, we put in a couple extra hours each day than every other, than everybody else. And that's, that's in, that's in sense winning over everybody else, right? You're putting, if you're, if the majority of people are putting in eight hours a day and you're putting in 10, you're essentially winning because you're putting in more effort. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Yeah, no, for sure. But it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting you say that because then uh, one of the other things that a lot of us run into is, is it has a big impact on our relationships, right? Because you're spending all this, all these hours working on a, on a job per se, right? Yes, it's investing, but it's still taking time away from you, from your family, from your friends, right? So how are you guys able to manage that relationship, whether it's with your family or your, or your, your, your girlfriend, for example, um, were you both on the same page from day one? Was this something that was understood or was it there times where you guys were like, listen, like I'm working like crazy. I, I don't have any time to spend time with you. I don't get to go on vacation. Right. Um, at one point you do draw the line to say, you know what, enough is enough. And, or maybe I should figure out a way to balance life. Is that, has that ever been a concern for you guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought this up because this is something I like to talk about a lot um, when I'm talking to other investors and mm -hmm. definitely the relationship uh, aspect is difficult. You know, thankfully Taylor and I are both um, as mentally invested into real estate as one another. However, there's a lot of times where things get stressful. Maybe there's tenant issues. You know, we're buying a bunch of properties. We need to figure out how we're going to come up with this money. Things do get stressful. So one of the things that we've started to do is every week we have weekly meetings. We've got our quarterly goals. We've got our yearly goals. And then we literally, we just systematically break it down. How are we going to achieve these things? So every single week we meet with each other on Saturday. We break it down. Um, we literally, we break it down week by week. If we do everything week by week, we are going to su uh, surpass our goals. Um, and what this has done for us is it's helped us, helped uh, both of us keep each other accountable. Because a lot of times, you know, when, when issues arise, um, maybe the question is, who's going to deal with this? Or why isn't this being dealt with, right? Because right. it's like, you should have dealt with this. No, you should have dealt with this. <laughs> or um, why isn't there another deal under contract right now? Well, that's your job. Why, Taylor, why isn't another deal under contract? That is your sole job. Or Jeremy, why are we extending closing? Because your job is to fund these deals, right? So now what we've done is we've put each other in our own seat or each other's seats and we have our own tasks. We've literally just, we've become more organized in our business and that's really helped us um, with, you know, managing our relationship. But of course, right. We've been in like, uh, you know, F1 driver's seat for the last year and a half, because like I said, we wanted to scale this real estate portfolio. We have this right. idea where, you know, in two years from now, there's going to be an opportunity where we truly never have to work again.
right? And potentially our kids never have to work in their life. If if that would be the route that we would so choose, let's just say, um, right. which is it's enticive, right? You know, sure. let's, let's work, let's work crazy hard for the next two years and let's be done with this. But then comes the question of what are we going to do in two years from now? Right. Because, you know, sitting on a beach for the next 40 years, I mean, right now seems really cool, but for <laughs> sure it's going to get old. Right. So there's going to be this never ending journey of, I need to make more money or I need to do more. Right. I see deals come up all the time and I'm like, I need to buy this deal. And it's like, and then I always question myself is like, why do I need to buy this deal? Am I, do I need to buy this deal so that I can tell everybody I now have 15 properties instead of 14? What is the real reason behind this? Because the true answer is, um, or at least the, the pre-answer is, I don't need more. We don't need more cash flow. We don't need more properties. We don't need more tenants. All of this stuff is, it's all it is right now at this point is a numbers game, right? Because right. we have the cash flow. We could stop working tomorrow life is going to be okay. Um, but why are we chasing this cycle? And it's really, the true answer is it's in our DNA, right? We're entrepreneurs. We want more. And that's that's been something that I've been, that's been on my mind a lot more is we need to really build this lifestyle where we understand, okay, we're going to continue growing our real estate business. We're going to keep buying deals. But how are we going to do it in a way where we can still enjoy time together? We can still have a lot of time with our friends, our family. Yeah, um, exactly. So one of the things, you know, we've kind of been doing is we've really been trying to outsource as much as possible, um, which is hard for me, right? You know, it's hard for me to pay somebody to go put up a light fixture when I know I can just do it for like, I can buy a light fixture for 12 bucks and go put it up. Right. But it's like, am I going to pay somebody $90? That was a hard thing to overcome, but we've, but in time, it's it's turning around. And then I'm, I'm realizing once I get people to do these things, it's like, this was worth it. Why? Oh, because I get to spend time with Taylor on Saturday when it's her day off. Right. That's worth more to me than saving $50, right? So it's just really balancing that in. You need it right in the head. <laughs> <laughs> For me, from my, my lifestyle, you know, and then just a little bit background about me, it's I'm a realtor and I'm a real estate investor and I'm trying to do the podcasting, the social media. So it's very time consuming, as you know it, right? It's very demanding. The more I think about it, just to your point, it's like, it's like I don't think it's going to stop. Like, realistically speaking, I'm no. like, we always itch for more. And just like you said, like I have, you know, properties like right now under contract and under renovations and, and projects are going underway. But as a realtor, I have this problem of always looking at properties every single day and I see deals and I'm like, oh my God, I want to get this one. I want to get this one. It's like, it's always become like a, like a game for me in other words. And I'm sure you feel the same way because you now see the, the value of it, that it, it has become so comfortable for you that you just look at it and you can analyze it within a few minutes and you can see the returns and it just sparks up your eyes. But then at the end of the day, it's like, what are we truly doing? We're trying to buy time, right? And that's what we really want. We we're putting all these hours in right now so that one day we can get this time back and not, you know, tra uh, trade it for, for, for money. But it, the fine balance is, is, what about your youth? You're only young ones too, right? Like you don't want to be 80 years old and go sit in a nice Ferrari. It doesn't look as, as good as it would if you were 20 years old. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> a fine line. Yeah. So I find that I'm struggling with that. And I think that's a very common thing between, between us uh, entrepreneurs and investors is like, we got to figure out where to draw the line. Like, so uh, to your point, now that you're outsourcing, I'm kind of thinking the same way. I'm like, listen, I'm going to work from this day to this day. 
So no, no business, like at least once, mm -hmm. once a week, no business. We need to just spend some quality time together. And our relationship is the most important thing. If we lose each other, what's all this money for? It's absolutely for nothing, right? So exactly. I'm glad that you guys are working towards that. Yeah, and then and I think the key thing is here is as you're progressing and as, as you're growing at that pace, you have to outsource, right? One of the books that a lot of uh, people have read and I recommend reading is The 4-Hour Workweek because that's essentially what it's all about is trying to outsource as much as you can to get your time back. And it's really hard to overcome, right? Because as entrepreneurs, we think to ourselves, I've worked so hard for this rental property. I've worked so hard for this business. I can't give away half of the profit to pay somebody to do it. <laughs> when realistically, we should do that because in essence, it's only going to help scale our business more and more because the time that you're going to spend on your business isn't on the $10, $15 an hour tasks, right? Now you have somebody doing that for you. So you're going to spend your time on the you know, quote unquote, hundred, two hundred dollar an hour tasks, right? Which is finding real estate deals, closing on these real estate deals, right? Aside from that, as a real estate investor, you shouldn't be doing a whole lot more with your time. So tell me a little bit about, again um, about your scalability. So you did touch up on a few things. So you said you guys purchased, you know, a bunch of properties. You had a, a whole bunch all under contract within like literally one week, which is crazy. Uh, how are you able to just? scale up and get those renovation costs down and everything and get through it, right? So was it all joint ventureships or was it, uh, you know, yourself uh, handling majority of that? Can you give us a little overview and, and so we can understand how you're able to do that? Because that's the biggest roadblock, as you said, the money, right? Like we'd run out of funds. How are you able to manage that? Yeah, yeah. Especially at a young age, right? When you have right. that time to build up maybe your savings account, your TFSA, your RSPs or whatever you're going to use to, to, to fund your business. So after we bought our first and second duplex, we straight up had no money. Like it was, it was really funny. We had no money. We really quickly got the itch to buy more real estate and we got this single family property under contract. And we had, like I said, we had no money to close the deal. Um, so we're like, okay, let's be smart and let's just ask our parents for money. Um, so uh, Taylor's parents ended up uh, lending us some money. But the issue was, and then we, then, you know, we brought it to the bank. We're like, Hey, look, we're super cool investors. We have the money in our bank account. And then the bank goes, Oh, this, these funds need to be your own funds. So, so that was the next issue. We're like, Oh, come on. Seriously. We've got the money now. And now you're telling us we can't use the money. So like, and then it really just goes back to like, you got to ask questions. You got to ask, okay, you're saying no now, but how can I get you to say yes? Um, and you know, we just push them, right? Like, come on, there's gotta be a way that yes, isn't like, is an outcome. Right. And then we finally got the answer out. Oh, Hey, all our underwriter needs to see is 30 days bank history. Perfect. We're closing in 60 days and 30 days. We're going to bring this back to you and we're all going to be good. Perfect. So that's how we closed the third one. Um, after that, we were able to do like a perfect, uh, Burr refinance on it. And then we were able to purchase our fourth property. Um, and then after that, we did another refinance on one of our duplexes. We were able to buy our fifth property. Then we did another duplex, or sorry, then we did a vendor take back mortgage on our sixth property. Um, Tell us a little bit about that story, because that's a very interesting one, right? It's, uh, it's, it's it, We know of this term, but it's very hard to close on it, I feel. It's, it's hard to get that deal across. So I would love to hear about this project or this uh, specific story. 
Oh, I, I love vendor take back. So we've done a few now and, uh, every time you get them, you just like, you, you just smile. Cause it's like, nice. <laughs> Especially when you're scaling up and you're like, I know I don't have money for this to like bring to a bank, but it's like, I could borrow the money and they don't, they don't care because they're in first position. So yeah. So it was our first time. And this is, like I said, we closed on, like we purchased all these properties. We, I straight up didn't have a job. Um, right. I did have a paycheck coming in the same week that we bought all these properties. So I knew like, Hey, worst case scenario, we'll just close on all these properties like really soon. Mm-hmm. A few of them were joint ventures. So we, we didn't have to worry about closing on them, but a few of them were our personal properties that we were just going to hold 100%. So we had to figure out how to close on these. So, yeah. So I just, I, you know, we just phoned them up. We're just like, Hey man, like I really want this deal. Um, but I don't think we can like, uh, prove the down payment. So I'm like, let's think of some creative ways. You know, we always heard about the vendor take back mortgages. Then this would, this, this was our first vendor take back mortgage. So our idea was because for us, we have the ability to do renovations a lot cheaper than everybody else because we have it all in house, right? You know, we're not paying $50 an hour for contractors. Mm-hmm. We're paying 25, 35 an hour. Um, so we can afford to pay a little bit more, right? And a lot of times I'm doing, um, you know, a, a, good majority of the work. So I can quote unquote, just pretend like, you know, it wasn't a cost or whatever. Right. You know, I can, I can kind of factor that in to make the deal look a little bit better. So I said, let's send them two offers. Let's bring them an offer, a a good offer with Mm -hmm. financing conditions. And we're just going to figure this shit out. Who, who knows how we're going to close on it, but we're just going to figure it out. Um, (laughs) Let's bring them then an alternative offer that's maybe 10% or 5% higher. It probably would have been 7% higher than what our first offer was. Mm-hmm. But let's do vendor take back terms. Let's do, and at this point, I thought I was going to go back to my day job. So I said, let's 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 do a really good interest rate because I understand how we're going to turn over this property. It's going to cash flow really well, which has turned out to cash flow like significantly more than we ever thought it would. Um, and so, yeah, that's really how we negotiated with them. We're like, Hey, we have this cash offer. We have this vendor take back offer with the vendor take back offer. Um, we're going to refinance this property in six months. So you're going to get all your money back out anyways, in six months at a higher purchase price, likely higher than anybody's going to pay for it. We're going to pay you a sweet interest rate while you're holding this mortgage. And that was really the big taker or the big kicker for this uh, seller was, you know, she had an offer. $5,000 less than us, but she thought, to, like, she probably thought to herself, Hey, I can hold this for five, six months. These guys are going to buy me out anyways. I'm going to make interest on it over the course of the next five, six months, anyways. Right. Why not? Right. We yeah. were trying to pitch that, Hey, we're young investors. You're, you're truly just helping us out. Um, that's something we always try and push. Right, right. And I think one of the biggest hurdles when, when you are trying to get a vendor to take back is, is that uh, the uh, sellers don't even know what that is. Right. So, was that something that you had to convince them or explain to them or did they, were they aware of that before? Did they understand how it works or walk us through how like you were able to kind of negotiate or get that going? Uh, because like I mentioned, a lot of people have no idea when you tell them, Oh, you act like a bank. They're like, no, no, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely hard. Um, you know, you have to, I guess it really just comes down to, you have to show them that there's some sort of benefit to them doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for us, it really, the benefit for them doing the vendor take back mortgage was they were 
they were arguably just going to get a higher end of the day, right? Somebody was maybe going to pay them 170. We were willing to pay them 175, right? They're just going to have to wait to get that cash. So mm-hmm. that was really the biggest uh, kicker. And how many units is it in total? So we have 34 units. We're closing on a uh, a larger multifamily building in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Um, and is this all in Chatham? Is that the primarily where you invested? Yeah. You can assume anything that I'm ever going to own will be in Chatham. And the reason being is because, again, when deals come across people's desks or when people find wholesale deals or whatever, mm-hmm. I want to be first in mind. I want to be the guy that buys in Chatham, right? A lot of people, you know, they buy in London, they buy in Chatham, they buy in Toronto, they buy in Welland. They're all over the place. There's a select few investors or there's a lot of investors who really just kind of niche down and they know the markets. And it's really, it, it puts you at an advantage, right? For a lot of times I can see deals pop up on MLS. I see the purchase price. I know as how many bedrooms is in this property. Right. It takes me a minute to really understand, should I even go further with this property, right? Whereas if you're kind of going all over, like I don't understand what a two bedroom is going to rent for in Hamilton. And the right. reason being is because I don't invest in Hamilton, but there's a lot of investors who they'll, they'll go on realtor.ca and they'll look anywhere and everywhere for some sort of deal, which is, which is okay. A lot of investors make a lot of money doing it this route. But for me, like I said, just kind of going back to, I don't like to be stressed out. I like to just kind of hone in, understand what's going on and just rock at it is really how it kind of bundles down. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and there's advantages to that, right? Because then you become the area expert and then you exactly. do attract the investors, right? And you, and then there there's a reason why they should be coming to you versus going on their own, right? So tell me a little bit about, you know, what got you into Chatham in the first place? What are some of the market fundamentals? And, and, and I guess, what is the future outlook of Chatham? Yeah, so I got in, interested in Chatham primarily because I knew of some investors who uh, owned a few properties in and around. Like they kind of own this section um, of Chatham where there's a bunch of fourplexes. So that really got me enticed. I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. You can just buy, you can basically buy up a whole street and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what got me interested in Chatham. The reason we invest in Chatham or kind of after that was obviously because the cash flow made a lot of sense, right? Right. That's why we got in, interested in real estate investing was because we wanted to build up enough cash flow for our business so that uh, you know I could quit my day job. Right. And um, the outlook on Chatham at this point is it's it's really just a stagnant city, right? There's not a whole lot happening. But it's a big enough city where there's enough economics. You know, there's a big hospital. There's a lot of jobs. There's um, there's more jobs than what people can uh, take on, which is really good. We just we understand the market a lot now. Um, you can get really good tenants um, in less desirable neighborhoods, which are going to be cheaper price points. Um, and the fundamentals just make a lot of sense. So yeah, we, cause, yeah. Because I was gonna say, I mean, what are the biggest things? Is everybody looks for is, is employment, right? So are the major? What are the major employers in that area? Is it just primarily hospitals? Like, what are some industries? Because like, I don't really know anything about Chatham, right? And then I feel like a lot of listeners won't even uh, won't know either, right? So it's like, what attracts people to go there? Because 
the market of fundamentals we usually look for is definitely you want some educational institutions, right? You want some hospitals, ideally, uh, major employment. And uh, of course, cost, you know, the purchase price is very key. But then it's like, what are the market rents look, look like? And, and those sort of things, right? Like, what is the economic development look like? Is there any feature developments that are in place, right? Anything like of, of that nature, if you can uh, uh, fill us in. Yeah. So in terms of development, I mean, there's there's a couple home builders that are building. Uh, last year, Chatham had the most uh, new home builds, I believe, that they've ever had in their existence. So that's good. You know, there's a lot of development happening. Um, the reason being is land is very cheap or was very cheap. It's starting to get a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of jobs, you know, you've got your typical, you know, police uh, hospital. We've, there's a really big hospital in Chatham, nursing homes, um, Integris. Uh, you know, there's a lot of city workers, actually. So Chatham, Chatham in itself. So where we invest is Chatham. But then there's also Chatham, Kent. Um, so there's a lot of city workers that take um, or that do work for basically the, the broad scheme of Chatham, Kent. So there's a lot of jobs that way. Um, there's a lot of uh, government um, assisted uh, individuals as well, which is right. OK. Um, and then uh, beyond that, you know, you've got your, you know, your, your random stores, things like that. A lot of like contract, like really just your broad scheme of uh, jobs. But there's really no, I mean, there's a lot of agricultural too. However, mm-hmm. we don't have any tenants that work in agricultural. So it's kind of hard to um, say that it's a big uh, industry. Right, right, right. Um, but I mean, there's, I mean, when you're driving into Chatham, you, you're, you're seeing greenhouses any which way you look, uh, lots of farmland, things like that. So, yeah. And then in, in terms of, so it sounds like there's a lot of blue, blue color jobs. That sounds like exactly. Government. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And then, yeah, since you mentioned the, 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 the region, Chatham is pretty broad, right? So like, what are some good areas that, that you know, that you, you would uh, invest in? What are some good areas to focus on? Yeah, for sure. So we invest uh, primarily south of the river, which is uh, quote unquote, you know, the less desirable areas. Um, however, we've found tremendous luck with, uh, with finding really good tenants in these less desirable areas, which is one of the things that, you know, a lot of the big cities you're not seeing because, um, you know, there's, you know, there's the good pocket and there's the bad pocket. Whereas in Chatham, a lot of these people are just familiar with living in, you know, less desirable neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, like I said, you're able to get really good tenants um, in these units um, at a really low price point, really good luck with it so far. And I mean, like we've got 30, 34 units. So at this point, um, it's been a scalable model and, um, it's really just what we're keeping at. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, and, and then two question, two part question here. One is what is it like a typical, uh, rent look like say for, for, uh, for bachelor, for one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedrooms, just to get an idea. Um, and then secondly, um, uh, in that in that region, you know, how do you go about you know screening tenants? Maybe some some best practices that would be great as well. Yeah. So what what the um, rents look like? So for a bachelor, I mean, you're looking at anything under eight hundred bucks. For a one bedroom, you're looking at you know nine hundred to nine seventy five. Uh, for a two bed, and these are all you know in a duplex, triplex. Um, right. Obviously, when you're looking at single family. I would add, you know, 20, 30% potentially at some, at, in some uh, sense. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for a two bed, you're looking at, you know, something 1100, maybe 1200 if it's in a desirable area with, you know, a backyard, some parking, things like that. Right. Um, and then a three bed, you're looking at, you know, 13 to 1450. So that's really where we're seeing the biggest increases from two beds to three beds. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're talking, so when you're, when you're renting a one bedroom in Chatham, you know, you maybe have 20 applicants, three people fill out the application and maybe right. one to two of them are people you'd probably want to rent to with a two bed. You're talking, you know, 50 to 75 applicants. And then, you know, you, you, you get a really good sense or you get a really good pool of people you want to rent to. Right. But when you rent to a, when you rent a three bedroom, it's like out of the park. Like there's, it seems like just a crowd of people come uh, like we just rented a three bedroom. I had a hundred people show up to the open house. Wow. And this was during COVID. And I was like, what is going on? This cannot be happening right now. <laughs> like everybody line up and like social distance and stuff, because this is crazy. So, I mean, it, that's really, yeah. Like I said, that's really where we're seeing the biggest increase. Um, right. I mean, from a one to two, not really seeing it, but from a two to three, huge. Um, and I guess that really just comes down to with Chatham, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have high paying jobs, so they may be can't afford to uh, to hold a mortgage on a property. So there's right. a lot of families looking for, um, you know, adequate living space. And when you when you have these three bedroom units, you know, this it it's uh, it's attractive to a lot of people. So, yeah. Wow. That, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And then again, I guess going back to my question about tenant screening, do you have some specific things you go through tenant screening to make sure you get the the right profile? Yeah. So one of the things that we do or that we really enjoy doing is, uh, or renting to is uh, young adults. So people that maybe are moving, you know, from their, from their parents' house into their first rental property. Um, the reason being is we've had really good luck with, you know, uh, like the new renters, right? They're really excited to pay their rent on the first, uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe like, or otherwise when, you know, there's a 40 year old couple who have been renting for maybe 20 years, you know, maybe they're going to, uh, you know, pay a few days late here and there because they're, they're used to the process. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, we've had really good luck with that. Um, how are we screening tenants? Typically we want to see that they're able to afford the rent, obviously. Um, you know, we like to see, uh, you know, three times what the rental income is in terms of income. So if the rent's a thousand bucks, we, you know, on the low side of things, like to see at least $3,000 coming in, that's Mm -hmm. going to, because it's as a responsible landlord, you want to make sure that they're going to be able to uh, pay the rent. right? Right. There's a lot of consequences when a tenant doesn't pay the rent and does get kicked out. Right. It's, um, it's, it's not the best situation. Um, I think a lot of tenants feel like they can just, you know, screw a landlord over and they can move on. Whereas a lot of times, you know, name gets, the names get passed around, especially in a small town. Right. Right. Um, So it's really important for us to ensure that uh, they're going to be able to pay the rent, especially when we're renting in a three, four unit building. We want to make sure that the tenant profiles are going to jive as best as possible. It is like, one of the things that I never really thought was going to be an issue that we've really realized is an issue is when you, you know, you've got a triplex or a fourplex and people living on every either which wall of you, um, 
you know, if one person likes to stay up till midnight, but the other three people like to sleep at nine, there's going to be issues. Um, And it's hard to, you know, you're, you're talking to the one tenant and you're letting them know these issues. Um, They don't think it's an issue because maybe they work overnights or whatever. Right. So it's like, when you're placing tenants, you just want to make sure the tenant profile matches up. A lot of times we're buying buildings fully tenanted, so it's hard to to uh, to make those changes right away. But mm-hmm. obviously, as we move forward, right, we're trying to... The ideal tenant that we're trying to place is somebody who works a, a day job, 8 to 4 p.m., goes home, they've got a nice puppy at home, and they're just happy to just hang out with them and, you know... <laughs> nonchalant, no parties, none of that stuff. Whereas, you know, when we're buying these undervalued, um, underutilized properties, typically the landlord's not selling them because all of their tenants like to pay rent on the first or what have you, right? So we're inheriting a lot of issues. So that's, um, you know, and then when you're placing new good quality tenants, you know, that's when you're really going to see your issues arise, right? You know, the tenants paying top rent, but they may not be in like a top quality building at this point, right? Because it hasn't turned over fully. Um, so that's definitely an issue. But again, we just try and like to be as transparent as possible. Uh, and then are, are you, are you properties, are they all being self-managed currently or are you, have you outsourced that? Yeah. So we manage, uh, we use just an app, uh, Buildium. It's, uh, it's been really good, good for us. Uh, you know, it's, we can communicate with tenants on there. Uh, one of the things that I like is we've got our handyman on there. We've got a, uh, you know, our property we've, so another thing too, we've hired on somebody who helps us with property management. So he helps us lease units, um, Mm -hmm. and just deals with small, uh, issues here and there when they do arise. And the reason being is because we always like to pride ourselves in like, uh, top quality management, which is, um, something that a lot of tenants can appreciate, right. Especially in you know, towns where, uh, you know, there's a lot of slumlords, things like that. People can appreciate having a good quality property manager. So we wanted to make sure that we were going to, as we scaled, keep those things in place. Um, but yeah, we self-manage everything. We haven't yet, uh, offloaded our portfolio to a property manager at this point. Right. Um, I don't see it happening in the near future. I'd like to just onboard people as we keep growing. Yeah, I've heard of that before. I haven't personally used it myself, but yeah, uh, it it looks like it's it's a very good program where you can pretty much program or put everything in place. So whether you have your your tenants in place, the information, can you text through it as well? I'm not too familiar with that the program. Yeah, so you can you can text tenants. Tenants can fill out maintenance requests, and then you can also ha- you can also onboard you know your electrician, plumber, HVAC guy, your handyman, and then when these requests come through, you can just offload it to them. Then they can. Because the biggest thing with property management, the nice way to scale down and not use utilize a lot of your time when you're managing properties is, you know, coordinating, hey, the plumber's going to come at nine. Are you good with this tenant? Oh, hey, plumber, uh, tenant's not good. You got to come at 10. And then, oh, uh, plumber's not good for that. You know, you're back and forth. So with Buildium, it gives them all of their information. They can contact the tenant. They can set everything up. And then once the project's done, they can uh, complete the task with pictures a description of what happened. And then obviously you can pay them, you know, Taylor's been like, Oh, uh, you know, Josh did this. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize that was like something that needed to be done. And then I'd go on building and I'd see like, Oh, this was a task that just got assigned to him. And I didn't realize. So 
That's really awesome. Yeah. So that's a great uh, golden nugget for, for the folks that are looking to uh, automate some of the pro- uh, property management. Uh, so far, you guys have just done burrs and a majority of your stuff is buy and hold. You haven't done any flips or Airbnbs or anything like that, right? Are you, any other investment strategies you guys are using besides burr? Yeah. So we, we have a few Airbnbs. So at my personal re- or our personal residence here, we've actually out back at our, uh, in our backyard, we have another house. Oh. That we there is there's like two houses on the same lot, so we actually Airbnb that other house, and that pays for majority of all of our expenses. Wow! And then also in Chatham, we bought a triplex that we Airbnb as well. So that triplex was the one that we did the vendor take back on, and the Airbnb is uh, I don't know how to put it. It's phenomenal. It. Um, it's blown our expectations out of the water. It, um, you know, like I, we we bought the property for a hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, right? Um, and it rents for you know like forty five hundred bucks a month. So it's wow. like, <laughs> and that's that's a lot of it's to do with Airbnb. And the really cool thing about this property is one of our tenants in the building. She uh, she's retired, and she actually cleans the Airbnb for us. So we. It gives her like she's able to make some sort like some income with Airbnb. Right. Um, we're also able to make a little bit more income because it's an Airbnb and not a long-term rental. We haven't really flipped yet. However, one of the properties we're working on right now was a property that we purchased um, anticipating to potentially flip. Mm-hmm. However, you know, with the birth strategy where you're able to get all of your money back out and with our lifestyle pivoting more and more to uh, like a cash flowing uh, lifestyle, right, we right. try and keep as much as we can, because again, you know that equity is still in the property, whatever you would flip it for, and it's you know at 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 our age, you know, being twenty three, twenty four years old, it's um it's not bad to keep these cash flowing assets. Oh, for sure, for sure. No, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, because that's something I've always been curious about as well. The Airbnb model. Uh, but it's just, you know, the timing of the market. So are, are you guys finding that you're still busy during COVID or has that been, for some, it's weird that when I ask that question, they say, oh, we've been busy more than ever now because of COVID. So how, how has that impacted the Airbnb model on your end? Yeah. Yeah. So we've been, uh, so we've been operating the Airbnb in Chatham for three months and we've essentially been fully booked since wow. uh, with the odd day here and there. But I think in December we were booked 29 to 31 days, uh, January we were booked. Uh, 30 out of 30. One more thing I wanted to ask you was, was I know when you do uh, go with Airbnbs, the banks don't typically like that, right? So how, what is, how are you guys getting away with that? Like, how are you able to purchase a property? Do you have like a lease in place or or like what what's the, what's the backdoor way of doing these? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mean, the Coles notes is there's a, there's a mysterious person renting the unit and mysteriously <laughs> the money ends up in the account that matches the lease every single month. Um, obviously at a reasonable rate. So if you're going to get, you know, if you're renting out a two bedroom unit on Airbnb and it's renting for, you know, uh, market rent is 1100 bucks. You need to, you need to have a lease that says 1100 bucks and there needs to be $1,100 going into the account each and every month. Right. That's essentially not traceable back to your own personal bank accounts. So whether that be through a PayPal, um, whatever the means needs to be, but it essentially just needs to not be traced back to you. They want to see the lease and they want to see that that money is going in on the first of the month, every single month. So 
that's the biggest thing, right? You, you're going to have a lease that's going to have a certain amount and that money is going to be in that account every single month. Uh, because there there are Airbnb arbitrage uh, companies or that will rent the unit from you and then re-rent it. So those right. companies are actually, they're going to pay you, you know, if, if, if a one, if a two bedroom is going to rent for a thousand bucks on market, but they can get $2,000 a month on Airbnb, they might rent it for you for 1400 bucks a month, mm-hmm. but you can show that income because you're only going to get 1400 bucks from that company and they're going to keep the remainder. Right. So right. there's also a route to go that way. Right. There's a lot of new entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe don't have enough capital, but they want to get into real estate investing. So they're willing to rent their units from you at a higher rate. Right. Take on that risk and then pay you for it. And then you then you actually have a legal lease in place. Right. Um, you know, you're not you're not controlling what they're doing after that lease is in place because they're paying rent every month. You don't really care. That's right. That's um, right. The nice thing with Airbnb is the units look phenomenal. So yeah. I guess the uh, the one question or the one concern would potentially be when you do have the appraisers walk through, um, you know, just ensuring that. Uh, they're not aware that it's an Airbnb. So, I mean, obviously you're not going to have on the fridge, this is the Wi-Fi password to my new Airbnb guests or, <laughs> you know, there's not whatever. If there's not a box of chocolates on the counter for the Airbnb guests, right? A lot of us focus on, you know, the whole buy and hold. Yeah, it will make you money in the long run, but it's like, how do you figure out how to do active income? And I think one of the best ways to do it is, is definitely Airbnb. I think Airbnb cash flow is like crazy, but then there's also component of management as well. So, do you guys have systems in place for these things or is it kind of pretty much, uh, again, uh, you're handling? Because again, it sounds to me you guys have a lot on your plate. So how are you doing all these different things at the same time? Yeah. So the the Airbnb at our personal property, we just have a cleaner that, uh, and I mean, there's there's apps you can use where when it, when somebody books, it sends a message to the cleaner and says, you need to clean this unit between this time and this time on this date. But in Chatham, again, we've, we have that tenant who she was looking for some, some opportunities to make money. And this, this was a really good opportunity for her. So again, I would say with each guest that checks in, probably on average, we spend two minutes, I would say. Wow. I would think so. I would think two, like maybe, maybe five minutes at the most. Right. But uh, I would say two minutes for the average guest. And then, you know, you're going to have some guests where, you know, we had issues where, you know, the internet wasn't working. So obviously, you know, these, these need to be uh, fixed like urgently, right? People don't mm-hmm. want, people aren't going to Airbnb without uh, Wi-Fi. So, yeah, I mean, obviously those guests take up a little more time, but those are just hiccups. Uh, but yeah, when things are running smoothly, I would say two to five minutes per guest. Um, and, you know, you're getting, you know, at some point, sometimes 50% more rent. Yeah. So it's absolutely. definitely worth it. And that's pure cash flow, right? That is that is unrealized cash flow. It's it's incredible. And then for the for, so for the Airbnb uh, properties that you have, is it in like a, a, spe- a specific re- region or is it a nice neighborhood where you're getting these attractive people to come in or it doesn't really matter like how is it in Chatham? Yeah, this this uh particular property is it's just uh, it, I mean it it you can see the Thames River, so it's a it's a nice spot. I wouldn't say our our Airbnb is in a desirable neighborhood. It's not in a undesirable neighborhood. It's just kind of it's in the middle of the pack. And then who who are these people that are renting it? By the way, like the, the people that are booking with you, are they uh, contractors typically, or are they visitors? Like, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's a touristy region necessarily, right? So, um, what are what is your typical guest? 
Yeah, we've had uh, we've had like kind of just a broad scheme of people, right? We've had people that are working at the hospital. We've had people like uh, there's a there's a college in Chatham, and uh, you know we've had people that uh, need to just stay down for two weeks because their course is online, but for this two weeks, you know, they need to be uh, there at the school present. Right. Uh, we've had people who. Um, you know, they work in Toronto, but all of a sudden they need to work in Chatham for two days. <laughs> have people who they just want to get away. They live yeah. in Chatham and they just want to get away somewhere and they rent our place. Or there are people in Windsor, they just want to get away, right? So for your bookings, do you, do you uh, find that it's kind of seasonal? There are certain uh, months or, uh, you know, seasons where it's uh, higher than lower or what does your typical monthly like uh, a rate look like? Yeah. So, I mean, with the months comes like cheaper uh, nightly rates. Mm -hmm. However, we've, we've found it pretty consistent in terms of how many bookings we're getting per month. Like we're getting, you know, like I said, we're getting anywhere from like 22 to 30 nights a month, uh, out of the 31 days. So, I mean, like a pretty, very good vacancy and yeah. Wow. That's phenomenal. It's it's barely empty. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was really good. Yeah. So do you go for like, do you aim for minimum two nights stay or do you go for like a week? Cause I know everybody have different, uh, you know, requirements or, or, or I should say strategies. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's kind of like a booking's a booking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're never like, we're not super greedy people where it's like, we want the, the, <laughs> the most money possible. We already know we're getting, you know, above average rent. So it's yeah. with that, you know, we just kind of take with what we get. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, I, what I want to do now, uh, uh, Jeremy, is, is ju- jump into some numbers, if you don't mind. So let's do a case study. Uh, so tell me, I guess, uh, one of the you know properties that you purchased, and if uh, we can start off by getting the purchase price and then go down to uh, you know the whole nitty-gritty and what are we sitting at right now? Yeah, okay. So I guess I'll do my first property uh, sure. that we purchased. So this was a duplex. It was on market. It was listed for 100 and. We ended up getting it for $132,000. Okay. Um, And with that came one unit rented and one unit that was vacant. So when we went in there, again, it was our first property, we put $22,000 of renovations into it. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up getting a refinanced of $195,000. So we essentially got basically all of our capital back out of the deal. Right. And, uh, you know, that property rents for currently it rents for just over 2000 bucks a month, plus all utilities. And, right. uh, you know, cash flows very well. It's got very, very good quality tenants in the building. And, um, you know, to this day, it's a property that we're really happy to own again, though, this is in like, this is in a neighborhood that a lot of people were turned off by essentially just in a really crappy neighborhood. Um, but again, mm-hmm. we were able to attract very high quality tenants, um, that respect the property, um, you know, that have day jobs and, you know, it's, it's worked out very well for us. How, what was the total cash you guys invested in, in that property again? 22,000. So 22,000. Okay. I'm just going to just run the numbers. we give them the, and what was the down payment on that? 20%, 20%. So 132, 20% of that. Okay. Down payment, 27,000. And then you had 22,000 as the rentals. Perfect. And what was the mortgage on that? So did you go with uh, 30 years on that? Uh, uh, 25 years, 25 years, uh, uh, fixed rate or variable fixed rate. It was, it would have been like two point, it's like 2.89%. Uh, 
2.89. Okay, perfect. Let's put that on 2.89. So perfect. So yeah, you knew basically, wow. So and then 195, you basically got an equity increase of about $63,000. And you said you were, you're um, renting it for 2000 per month right now? Yeah, just over. Okay, perfect. And uh, are you paying for, um, you know, utilities or that's also uh, uh, paid for by the tenants? Yeah, so we have $100 in utilities just because the water isn't uh, separate. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we've got our, you know, We've got our insurance, which is just under a hundred bucks a month. Right. And we've got our property tax, which is just over 150 bucks a month. Okay. Yeah. So again, fairly like barely nothing in there. Yeah. So based just on that, the numbers you've given me, you're you're looking you're cash flowing about eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> that's that's insane. Um, and has it appreciated over, over the over the years since you guys bought it? Like what is it, what's the market value today? Yeah, I would say the market value at this point is probably 220 225. Tell me a little bit about some failures you had. What were some failures that you faced? Um, it's really hard to 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 dial down of, you know, a failure that I've had, but you know, definitely if in 2020 I um I was 110% committed to real estate and probably like 2% committed to uh spending time with friends, family and uh, right. uh Taylor. So that's something that I've really tried to, you know, look back on and think, you know, there's, there's a possibility or there's a, there's an opportunity where, where I can do better in that uh, respect. But however, again, you know, there was a lot to gain with, uh, you know, what we did last year. So it's, it's hard to judge, you know, if I was to have spent, you know, majority of time with family and not on real estate or not on my business, you know, would my life look a little bit differently? Is my life going to look differently in five years because of the sacrifices I made last year? The answer is probably yes, right? There's Absolutely. probably going to be a good opportunity where I'm going to have a better opportunity to spend more time with friends, family, and Taylor. Um, and it really with everything, right? There's always a sacrifice to something that you're going to get better of, um, yeah. right? Yep. And that's one. Of, that's the reason we got into real estate was because there's this idea where it's like, hey, we can just travel and we can, you know, spend a lot of time together. For for your deals that you you got, have they all been on market or are 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 they off market? Or are you doing a combination? How are you sourcing these deals? A mix, yeah. We do a lot of flyering. We do a lot. I mean, I I talk to I I think I might have talked to like six landlords today. Um, you know, just about properties they have. You know, potentially purchasing properties. So we're trying to buy a lot of larger multifamily buildings right now. Right. Which was uh, it's it's like a whole different ball game. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. You know, there's a lot of people that own large multifamily buildings, but uh, these are not unintelligent investors, right? These these are people who understand the value of their building and they understand, you know, where the value is going. So right. that's, uh, I mean, basically with anything large multifamily, it's going to have to be off market. But again, uh, we've purchased, uh, you know, a, cu- a couple properties off market as well in the small multifamily range. Uh, mm-hmm. Tremendous deals. I mean, far better than what you're going to get on MLS, but majority of our stuff has been on MLS and it's just patience. I mean... We've missed out uh, probably on the last seven offers we've put in on MLS. Oh, wow. Uh, it's getting competitive, eh? Yeah. I mean, not last November, but the ne- November before, right. uh, when the market really wasn't that hot, we we bid on 18 properties in October of 2019, and we missed every single one. Wow. So, and then, I mean, then after that, right, there was like a streak where we, we got like the next eight properties in a row that we put offers on. So just about sticking to your numbers and, yeah, um, because 
with anything. I mean, and I, it's probably not a good idea to think this way, but I mean, you know, there's a lot of investors out there right now, but as soon as that one investor buys one bad deal, I mean, they're, 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 they're slowed down, right? It's the investors, the investors you should be worried about that are going to competing, that are going to be competing with you steadily are the people that are buying really good deals. And those are the people who you can compete with when you're putting in offers in. But when you're competing with somebody who's just lost out on their last 20 deals and wants to buy their first investment property, there's a very good chance they're going to pay more than you because they are eager and they want to get into the game. But it's important right. to just like just stick with your numbers. If it doesn't make sense, there's nothing worse than getting into a property that, you know, is negative cash flow that could sink you, right? That should be the biggest thing we should all be worried about. Like there's an opportunity where you can go bankrupt doing this or you can lose a lot of money. Yeah. Don't buy like real estate just for the sake of buying real estate. That's not the way to do it. You got to stick to your formula and what what, what works, right? So when you're analyzing deals, you know, okay, I can't, I can pay $150,000 for this property. If I pay another a hundred thousand or another $50,000, there goes my cash flow. Right. So I totally agree with you. And then that's a very, and then, and that's a very easy thing to, uh, to get into just because the way that the market is currently going, it's very hot. The inventory is significantly low and there's so many buyers out there. It's absolutely insane. So, um, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up with the hype and, and think, you know what, if I don't pull a trigger on this, someone's going to grab it. If, if there was, you know, for investors that are looking into real estate, if there was potentially, you know, three books that you can recommend, are you, you know, what would they be? Yeah. So the, the book that that's really influential to me is how to win friends and influence people. Because I think with real estate, uh, some of my best, uh, you know, connections or, you know, has really just been through networking and with networking, you know, you can talk to people and, you know, there's, there's two ways it's going to go. They're either going to like you or they're not going to like you, or they're going to trust you or they're not going to trust you. So it's really important to understand how to communicate with people properly. Right. Um, and that's been a book. I mean, that was like the, that was like the light bulb book for me was like, was how to win friends and influence people. Uh, one of the books that, um, again, I really like is traction and that's, um, really how we're evaluating our business now is based on traction and their business uh, systems. So that's been really good to us as well. And I mean, again, another book that I really like that, um, that I've read a few times is the seven habits of highly effective people, right? We want to go, and this is what we talked about earlier, right? You know, to, mm -hmm. to really succeed in life, you have to essentially just work a little bit harder than everybody else. So what that means is, you know, every day being effective, being, um, you know, being useful, doing something that's going to move the blocks forward. Um, because, you know, a lot of people work five days a week, eight hours a day, and that's it. You know, if you can work 50 hours a week consistently, you're going to be ahead. You know, maybe there, there's going to be people that are still ahead of you, but for the mass majority of people, you're going to be ahead. Um, and th maybe that's not something you should strive for is just to be better than everybody else, but it's going to definitely put you in a position to have an opportunity to be, to have a more fulfilling life. Um, right. Because you're going to unlock a lot more opportunities than others may be given, right. You're going to potentially have more cash in the bank. You know, money's not everything, but you know, when you can go on vacation 12 weeks a year instead of four, yeah, 
that's going to ver- like really impact your life, right? So it's all about just kind of thinking ahead, um, you know, not getting too overwhelmed, caught up in the details and just, you know, like I said, every day, just putting, you know, a little bit more effort forward um, and moving from there. Yeah, no, awesome. No, that, those are some great recommendations. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely would recommend uh, reading those. I've read uh, uh, the first book you mentioned, but uh, yeah, the other two there are in my collection. I'm still getting through them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And then I know we talked a lot about you know different things that investors can do getting uh, started. Uh, but if there was one piece of advice you can give them, what would that be? I think if I was to get started in a market right now, um, I would probably you know. Uh, dig into all the free content that there is online. I would, you know, if there's a market specific that you're looking for, I would probably reach out to somebody investor focused in that market, you know, maybe pay for some coaching or some guidance or, you know, do some one-on-one stuff with them. Maybe you can trade your time um, and you can help them up on some of their projects and really just get into their mindset. Because at this point in the game with real estate, there's a lot of noise out there, right? You know, even for myself, sometimes I find out like, I'm not really sure which way I should go because there's so much things I'm seeing out there. So, um, and you know, for myself, I have, you know, at least I have some sort of guidance in my own head because I've been doing this for a little while, but you know, yeah, if I was to get started, I would probably try and get some clarity on the markets that you're trying to invest in. And what that looks like is probably just connecting yourself with, uh, with an investor in that specific market. And then we did talk a lot about traveling. So uh, if you could travel anywhere, obviously we can't right now. Where would it be? <laughs> so we're going to do a Thailand trip uh, next year. Um, and that's that's something that we've been looking forward to for a very long time. I also really enjoyed Costa Rica. So I want to go there for a few months. Uh, really, you know, as, as, long, as soon as COVID lifts, um, you're not going to see me on renovation projects. You're going to see me somewhere tropical because that's <laughs> really, that's what this has all been about, right? I mean, we're trying yeah. to build some sort of life of freedom. I love the, the our session. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, for folks that want to connect with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely by email, tjrealestate.hotmail.com or on Instagram, Jeremy Ivany. I'm uh, super active on social media. So I uh, definitely don't hesitate to reach out for sure. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to get some great golden nuggets out of it. The kindest thing that you can do is share this podcast across all social media to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. I have those links in the show notes for you to contact me. I love bouncing ideas, people, and I love talking real estate. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a few properties away. 